Hey, it's Guy Raz here, host of How I Built This, with the recommendation for another podcast for you to check out, namely How I Built This. Every week, I talk to the people behind some of the most inspiring companies and brands in the world with stories of incredible persistence, grit, and insight. You can find How I Built This on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Dog Daddy. This week on the show, host of All Things Considered and NPR's Embedded, Kelly McEvers, and from NPR's Code Switch team, reporter Karen Grigsby-Bates. All right. Happy New Year. Let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Each week we start with a different song. We'll talk about this song in just a bit. But first, as Aunt Betty said, in D.C., like right across this little uh, divider, uh, Kelly McEvers, she's currently working two jobs, Mm -hmm. hosting All Things Considered and her own podcast, Embedded. Soon, just doing Embedded, which tells amazing, deeply reported, long-form stories, most recently about Team Trump. Mm -hmm. They were captivating. Check Mm -hmm. them out. Thanks for being here. Yeah, hey, it's good to be here. You made the trip from L.A. just to hang today. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> and to do some other stuff. Yeah, yes. yeah. Also down the line in Los Angeles, you know her from NPR's Code Switch team. They cover race, identity, and culture. Karen Grigsby Bates. Happy hey, New Year. Hey, happy New Year, y'all. And always glad to have my name in Aunt Betty's mouth. Oh yeah. Um, so the song that I'm playing is a song by Justin Timberlake. Baby, just remember. This is his first uh-huh. solo single, Like I Love You. It came out when I was, gosh, a wee boy. Um, and I'm playing this old JT because I miss the old JT. Uh-huh. He released a new single this week. I sent it to you guys before the show. Oh, is it tied in any way to like a Disney kids movie this time? <laughs> no, or exactly. Oh, oh boy, okay. is it okay. not. Okay. So okay. this week he announced a new album coming our way from him. He's calling the album Man of the Woods. Did not think of him as a man of the woods. No. Um, he has a new single out uh, this week called Filthy. I heard it. I didn't like it, so I'm not playing it unless okay. you really want to hear Does it. Does that have Kelly. to do with the woods? That's I'm the so thing. confused. I know, I know. I, so I know. Karen's heard it, I think. Karen, you heard the song. It's- I listened to it. Uh, Justin Timberlake is maybe officially middle-aged now because it, was, it wasn't even speaking to me, oh. which is sad, and I'm old enough to be his mother. So that's why Sorry, I'm playing JT. the old JT. I right. miss the old JT. Okay. Uh, listeners, if, if you want to check out Justin Timberlake's new song, you won't hear it here. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Filthy. Find it wherever you hear your songs. <laughs> Okay, with that, let's get to it. So we're going to each describe the week of news, how it felt to us in just three words. Um, Kelly, apparently there's some new book out. Yeah. Kelly's got Heard it. Heard of it? It's in my hand. <laughs> it's, in Look, hand. It's, it's right here. I yes, got it. Yes. I got it. I got it. And after Is all it of... smoking? <laughs> Literally, it's on fire. Are you handling it with it actually, yeah. ah! love? <laughs> the only three words, if these are three words that I could even possibly come up with, are... WTF Steve Bannon. Like, That's what? like five words. And WTF is like stand no, WTF for words. is Sorry, word. I know. Because we can't say those words. So true, we're going to put it in an acronym. Okay. We're going to count it as WTF a word. WTF Steve Bannon. Because what, dude, is your plan, right? I mean, do we need to recap or can we just sort of like... Let's do a little recap. Yeah, let's so, do a little recap. in advance of this Michael Wolf book. 
Now, Michael Wolff is a journalist who writes buzzy, sensational books. He apparently spent a lot of time in the White House this past year, and he wrote a book all about it. It's called Fire and Fury. And some quotes have come out ahead of the book's release this week. Quotes from Steve Bannon, Bannon, who was the president's former senior strategist. And he basically spoke ill of not just Donald Trump, oh, no. but of Ivanka, yep. of uh, Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner. Oh, yeah. Of Don uh, Jr. Don Jr. Yeah. And he basically said that that meeting with the Russians, that that was treasonous right. in his own words. Yep. And since then, uh, Trump has called him out in a long statement. Oh, He's yeah. lost funding from the Mercer family, his yep. big benefactors for right. years. Although there's been some good reporting coming out yeah. that says that, you know, maybe that wasn't tied necessarily to the book, but that was maybe in the works uh, for a long time. But like, within, or has been in yeah. the works for some time, yeah. let's say. Within a week, though, it seems like he is over. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of people are saying. Like, I have a lot of thoughts about that, too. Like, yeah. I bet you Steve Bannon's got a few seasons left really? in him. Because you've covered oh, him yeah. for a while. Yeah, you had exactly. a big episode about Steve Bannon on Embedded this yep. last season. Yep. So you Where think we looked yeah. really deeply at his time in Hollywood. Yeah. And sort of all the different iterations of Steve Bannon that happened while he was in Hollywood. Because mm-hmm. there were a bunch of them. Oh, yeah. This is a guy. This is a changeling. This is a guy huh. who sort of like... Kind of like changes with the wind, you know. There was like a you know a time in Hollywood when it made sense to kind of hitch up with certain producers and try to make certain kinds of films. And then he realized, oh, after he made this kind of piece of propaganda about Ronald Reagan in 2004, oh, yeah. that like, okay, maybe I'm not going to win Oscars, but this is the kind of thing that's going to get me recognition from the right and might get me funding from the right. And that's what kind of propelled him into yes. the world he's in now. So yeah, so he's fascinating. Like, he sat down with Michael Wolff, this book, this book that is currently sitting here on fire. Fire and You know, fury. there's a <laughs> bunch of, you know, these fascinating quotes. Bannon has never really been, like, super careful about what he says, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get, you get this sense from this book that he either doesn't know the difference between off the record and on the record or doesn't really care that much. We've seen this care. before. I, I vote think for he, the latter. Yeah, I think he kind of doesn't care. I think he's sort of just like, eh, if there's a journalist I trust and I'm going to let him be around. And he only does this with a few people. I'm just going to say what I think. Now, Kelly, the reason that we're talking about this book so much, Michael Wolf's Fire and Fury, is because by the time folks hear this show, you've interviewed him. That's right. Yeah, you know, I got an advanced copy of it. I've had it for weeks. I had to like sign a non-disclosure agreement just to read it. And who knew it was going to be this big oh, yeah. deal? Oh, yeah. So the end of this book, P.S. Don't spoil it. Come on, let me tell you a thing because it's kind of like old news now. Uh-huh. Like the book ends right before the election in Alabama. So Wolf uh-huh. kind of has Bannon ascendant at the end of this book, right? And then he's backing Roy Moore. It's looking like it's going to go well. Huh. It doesn't, obviously, in 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 Alabama. But at the very end of this book, Steve Bannon. Is talking about running for president in 2020. No oh boy. joke. He also said Ivanka was thinking about running for president eventually. He does say that in the book. Yeah. You get a presidency. You get a presidency. Yes, exactly. Everybody gets a presidency. Yes. So, you know, I'm not saying Steve Bannon is going to run for president in 2020, but I'm also saying do not count this guy out. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from the book and the revelations about the book this week, it's like the White House right now is a den of snakes. You, no one can trust anybody. Everyone thinks the other one's crap. And everyone's talking mess about the other one. But you know what? That's not such a big surprise because it Hmm. seems to me that virtually every White House has some snake pity Mm. aspect to it. That there's always different factions that a president brings in. And sometimes I think because they really do have genuine differences of opinions. In that respect, the Trump White House isn't I don't think a whole lot different from the Clinton White House or 
either Bush White House or the Reagan White House for sure. But I think the big difference is it's kind of like them on steroids. You know, it's like a bomb cyclone or cyclone (laughs) bomb or whatever of ambition and animus and and revenge-seeking. And, yeah, they talk a whole bunch of smack. All I know is I'm going to be spending more time on this book this weekend than I ever would on the new Justin Timberlake single. (laughs) (laughs) Karen, you're next. Do you have three words for the week? I do. All right. They are... Feminism is intersectional. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it is. Snaps. It is, but it's taking a while for some people to realize that, mm. and I think what we're seeing is the evolution of it. You remember uh, last year, the day after the inauguration, the Women's March. Mm-hmm. And um, in the beginning, as the media showed it, it was kind of like, oh, this is these are these feminists, and they're thinking about doing this. And what they didn't realize until things really got rolling was that the core group of women Mm -hmm. who put together, planned, and mapped out this march and the strategy for the march were women of color. Mm -hmm. And um, that is not traditionally how people think of feminists. That finally, and there was a little bit of fuss about that, but what came out of that fuss was the understanding that you can be Uh, Not, I mean, by a lot of women of color, because they knew this already. You can be Asian and feminist or black and feminist. Or Or poor and feminist. What I've been seeing the last week or two, there's been this new push from Hollywood to put up up some money, this Time's Up campaign, to put up some money to help women that are dealing with Me Too type issues who don't have money. Hotel workers, people who don't have the resources. They're more vulnerable to this and they need to be made visible in this struggle. And so we have to say, this is what a feminist looks like, not just a sliver of what a feminist looks like. You know, the same time I hear this conversation about the Time's Up movement, which seems like a good development, there's a lot of talk about women on the red carpet in an effort to raise awareness of all these Me Too issues, they're going to be on the Golden Globes red carpet. Oh, yes, the black Golden dresses. Golden Globes wearing black, black, black dresses. And yeah. I'm just like, okay, uh, oh, fine. Right. Yeah, like, we'll, like, that I feels know. a little superficial. Well, what'll be interesting is if the ladies who are vacuuming up the red carpet mm. afterwards have on black clothes. Mm. Mm. I have three words. Mm. Um, they are resolve to unplug. Yeah. Good luck with that. Oh, I know. But let me tell you, though, here's my thinking around this. I hear this. you. Um, everyone is having their New Year's resolutions. In spin class this morning, the class was full, which it never is, and I was mad about that. I had to sit in the back or whatever. Right. All you but, resolutioners. <laughs> exactly. I see you. I've been here before. Exactly. <laughs> to sit in the back. Oh, here. The ignominy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking this year about what I want to resolve to do, and my resolution was to manage and temper my news and culture consumption. I realized over the last year, a lot of the way that I would consume media was just me spinning my wheels and not getting substance. Um, this week, Close for it. instance, on Wednesday or Thursday, Anthony Scaramucci began to trend. The old uh, Sam cough, cough. clicked the links. The old Sam. I said, we're not clicking. No, 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 no Scaramucci mooch. clinks no this, mooch. Clinks no this mooch. week. It's I'm a no mooch it. 2018. Yes. You never know. So just like... Beware of that trigger finger. Mm-hmm. Watch how you click, America. You. That's you. what I resolve to. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you could always do it the old school way and actually read a newspaper or a magazine. I do that too now, Karen. Wow. I, yeah. I've been reading a physical newspaper for the last few months. Yeah. I was it's on break and I like read Radical. things that I held in my hand. And It's still pages. weird to fold. It's, no, and it's loud and noisy. Great. Anyway. All right. Three words done. Time for a quick break. Coming up, we're going to talk about a story that was not in the headlines this week, but will definitely be a big story in 2018. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. 
We'd like to thank our sponsor who brings you this message, Discover Card, who alerts you if they find your social security number on any one of thousands of risky websites. Discover believes there are some things that you just need to know. It's just another way Discover looks out for you, not just your account. And best of all, social security alerts are free for Discover Card members. All you have to do is sign up online. Learn more at discover.com slash free alerts. Limitations apply. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, talking this week with Kelly McEvers from All Things Considered and Embedded. You were the hardest working woman in show business. <laughs> uh, public radio show business. Yeah, the James yeah. Brown of public it's radio. Very, very, very particular. I have wet, like my radio. clothes aren't nearly as cool. <laughs> also, Karen Grisby Bates of NPR's Code Switch team. Uh, guys, before we get back into it, quick yes or no answer to this question. I've been seeing this week multiple reports that President Donald Trump plans to attend the CFP National Championship game between Alabama and Georgia on January 8th. Here's the catch, though. At that very game, the halftime show will be performed by one Kendrick Lamar. So, yes or no, do we think that either of these two men will acknowledge the other's presence? Wow. Do you think they both show up? I don't is even the know. the question. I, I think have. Kendrick will probably do a shout out to really? uh, DJT. <laughs> Is Kendrick Lamar going to say we going to be all right or not? You know, like, but this is, is like, like the yeah. anthem of the I know, Black Lives I know, Matter I know, movement. I know. Yeah. Right. Like, is I, he going to change the words? Like, I predict, are people going to kneel? Like, what? I predict Trump leaves before halftime. Hmm. Anyway, now it's time for a phone call for a segment that we call Long Distance. This is where we call a listener somewhere out in the world and talk to them about their week and what's going on in their neck of the woods. Today on the line, we're talking to a listener from Virginia Beach because, of all places, there's a massive explosive snowstorm in Virginia Beach this week. Uh, this listener is a realtor named Jeremy Caleb Johnson. Jeremy, you there? I am here. Uh, you're on the phone with me and two of my friends, Kelly and Karen. Hey. Hi, Jeremy. Hello, everyone. So what's the weather like out there right now? You know, for a place that has beach in the name, mm -hmm. <laughs> it should not be this cold or have this much snow on the ground. Looking outside right now, my street is still just packed with snow. How much uh, snow? Here in my well, some some parts of our area here in southeastern Virginia got about 11 inches. Wow. And that is wow. absolutely ridiculous for, <laughs> for this part of the state. So this might not be Virginia Beach's first blizzard, but I do believe it's the first time we've been calling whatever's going on down there a bomb cyclone. Mm. Do you know what that even is? Because I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Please help us. You know, I, I don't know. My wife lives for snow days. So huh. She's saying that this is the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> from my advanced research, from what I can understand, <clears throat> it's called a bomb cyclone, or correct me, Brent, a bombogenesis. Is that what it is? What? It's called that. Bombogenesis, I think. It's called that because that sounds like uh, the pressure inside these storm cells, it falls so fast that it gives the storm this explosive strength. Um that's, that's why. I'm not going to go any more into it, but that's why. <laughs> and this storm so far has led to literally thousands of canceled flights on the East Coast, lows Ugh. of negative 35 degrees in some areas, record coastal flooding. I've even heard, and you tell me if you saw this too, Jeremy Caleb Johnson, it's so cold, water from the tide on the beach will come up on the sand and freeze before it goes back out. 
Yeah, I, I've seen that on the news, but oh, I, I have goodness. not ventured outside. <laughs> Smart man. I, I, I do not have thermal flip-flops to wear. So, yeah, I don't think any um, of us do. <laughs> but I have seen uh, videos on Facebook and the local news uh, from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and here in Virginia Beach on the coast where, yeah, the water is sort of, you know, not even rolling up onto the beach uh, hmm. like a regular wave does. It's sort of just shoving sheets of ice oh you know, in chunks goodness. across the beach. And, yeah, it's uh, – and it takes a lot for that uh, for that salt water to freeze. So, oh, yeah. So it's um, really cold. Yeah, it's pretty significant. Yeah. Okay. So then uh, of all this stuff this week, what's the weirdest thing you've seen? Like what's the craziest bombogenesis, bomb cyclone thing you've seen this week? You know, I think it's still the the people that are – trying to to get to work or venturing out on the highways when they really shouldn't. Mm. Um, I saw a news story this morning uh, here from the local paper where the U.S. Navy, which is our biggest employer in this part of the state, Mm -hmm. uh, ceased all maritime traffic and operations for the naval bases here. And, you know, if the Navy is smart enough to stay off the roads, I think, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the rest of us should, should too. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, mostly self-employed as it were. So I get to work from home and I don't have to go out of this. My wife works for a local university. They closed, you know, so we're fortunate in that regard. I know some people got to get out there, but it's just not safe. It's not safe. So then you're going to have a weekend, you and your wife, maybe hold up in the house. What are your plans for your weekend? Uh, well, um, I've made chili. I'm making beef stew oh. now. Uh, we've cleaned out a closet. Uh, <laughs> I've changed the sheets on the bed. Uh, you know, doing a little more extra laundry. Uh, we might uh, actually start to dust things if it goes on too long. <laughs> so I must ask you as a Texan, everyone has a secret ingredient for their chili. What is your chili secret ingredient? You can tell me. Um, well, It'll be a secret me, on the radio. Just between you and me. Just, uh, yeah, I, yeah, just two of us. A little bit, a little bit of cinnamon. Ah, I like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Is that Texas okay? I I mean, I'm cool with it. All right. Well, good. It's Texas okay then. (laughs) All right. Jeremy Caleb Johnson, thank you so much for your time today. Stay warm. Stay dry. Send some chili my way. I'll do my best. I'll I'll put a stamp on it and put it in the mail right now. (laughs) All right, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. 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 Everyone does, though, have a secret chili ingredient. Really? Some folks do coffee. Sometimes several. Oh. Mm-hmm. I, I guess made, I don't make enough yeah. chili. So I made beef stew this week, mm-hmm. and I crowdsourced Twitter to say what to add to it. And? Fish sauce. Yes. Oh, umami. yeah. The umami. umami. Wait, wait was say, that a good use of your digital time? <laughs> it's what I wanted. Now I, I had food that I it. could eat. I yes, because it. it resulted yeah. in something. Now concrete. every story that you tell me in 2018 yes, is related to the internet. I'm like, time. now Sam. <laughs> now Sam. Now Sam. Listeners, want to talk to you for this segment, chili or nah? If you want us to give you a call and talk about anything going on where you live, drop us a note. Tell me what's happening. I am at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Also, just send me your chili recipes. I'm Go cool ahead. with that. Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. Now it's time for our main story. We're going to talk about an issue that has not really been in the news for the last few weeks, but it's still definitely one to watch. In 2018, immigration. Yes. Doesn't it feel like last year it was all immigration? Yes. Right? Yes, but I think 2018, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. This is an issue that, like, 
a lot of people oh, care yeah. about in a lot of different directions. Yes. And uh, so, immigration yeah. is intersectional, yeah. too. So oh, it's not yeah. going to change. Oh, totally, uh-huh. totally. And so, like, let's just recap the last year in immigration. January 2016, Trump uh, puts out his first version of this travel ban. Oh, there was so chaos at the every saga airport. Of the travel ban. Right? Yes, and yes. so we're now on version three. Right. Uh, then after that, there was the wall. Trump kept saying he was going to build it. There were prototypes that popped up in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Then in September, Trump announced that he's going to roll back the DACA program. This is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. He, and he basically said, Congress, you figure it out. Right. Um, so 2017 was a year of big change in immigration policy, but it feels like, at least in these first few days of this new year, we're talking about it less. Well, attempts at big change, right? I mean, yeah. Trump hit a wall. Sorry. Oh, Every no. time, you know, like the court stopped his, you know, his plans. Um, and isn't he still and, being challenged like right now this minute? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's actually, you know, going back to this Michael Wolf book that's uh-huh. so explosive this week about the Trump administration. There's Are you some getting re- a cut of this, Kelly? <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. But there's it's some like there's a lot of we'll juicy tidbits in here. And one of them is early, early on in the Trump administration, you know, there was an attempt to bring um, the Mexican president, Enrique Peña Nieto, oh, yeah. to, yeah. to Trump. But early on, before things completely fell apart. And there's this sense from the book, and I want to get more details from this, uh, from Michael Wolf on this, but that the idea was like, let's just all make this big immigration agreement where Mexico looks like it's paying for the wall. But, you know, I, I think this confirms, I think, a lot of the things some of us were thinking about the wall that like, you know, we're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. I think it's starting to show yeah. that some of that was rhetoric. It's so true. that will be a really in- interesting thing to watch, yeah. I think, in 2018. And all of those stories that we outlined from 2017, they're still issues in 2018. Sure. Just Very to update so. all of us, you know. Um, in early December, the Supreme Court allowed Donald Trump's third version of that travel ban to go into That's effect. Right. That's and a lot right. of folks don't realize, no. right now, the ban's in effect. Yes. There's a travel ban in effect. Yes. It applies to citizens of Iran, right. Libya, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, Chad in North Korea and some people from Venezuela. And you've heard some interesting, t- you know, conversations about Iranians in particular. Yes. Here you have the Trump administration saying we stand with the Iranian people who are currently have been protesting. But you this can't week. come here. Yeah, you can't yeah. actually. Yeah. Come, you know, we wouldn't yeah. welcome you to the United well, States. Well, and then it's like, I mean, Karen, you were there in L.A. when there were protests over the first travel ban all oh, over the LAX. Airports were totally locked up. If I mean, the ban is happening now, why aren't they still protesting? Um, because I think there's probably confidence, and I think it's not unfounded confidence, that there will be pushback at the state and local level that will tie things up in the court enough that Mm. it won't be imminent. Mm. Um, It's hard to believe that it was only a year ago, but this time last year, literally almost to the day. um, They were shut down. Airports were shut down. The airport was shut down. And what some people told us, uh, because we did a podcast episode on it, Mm -hmm. was that the thing that they found most heartening was the number of non-Muslims who came out. Mm. You know, it's interesting. If you think about a year ago, though, it was right after the Women's March. There was a ton of momentum. You had this feeling, the resistance. You know, after a third iteration of this travel ban, you have to wonder if there's a little news fatigue. If you're like, wait, do I protest or is the court going to do it? Like, I don't know. And I think the administration is kind of counting on that, right? That people are kind of losing. They are losing interest. Well, that was a lot to happen in a year. I was listening to, you know, a lot of the shows did roundups of what went on in 2017, and I was listening to one of them on the way to work, and I kept listening, and I thought, all this stuff happened last year? Oh, yeah. 
You know, what I found the most fascinating around the time of the first rollout of the travel ban, in spite of all the protests at all these airports across the country, the first wave of polling about America's response to that ban, about 50 percent were for it. This is the thing about immigration, Uh right? This is the thing about immigration that I think the Republicans and the Trump base are are counting on. I mean, this is this is, you know, something going back to old Steve Bannon. People might not say it. That resonates with people. Yeah. This is something that matters. And this is something that I am watching so closely in 2018. What are the Democrats going to do with that? What Mm -hmm. are they going to do with that? You know, because because when you talk about how immigrants are stealing our jobs or immigrants are, you know, uh, affecting our towns, like what I think we should do is get down and interrogate that. Is that true? You know, some of the best journalism I think going on right now is like in this Iowa town where there's a meatpacking plant and people from Laos and Mexico uh, and the Philippines are doing these jobs. A, do you want these jobs? B, has it hurt the town or has it helped the town? These are some questions to ask. But that's not what people are really worried about. I'm, you know, call me a cynic. Jobs, yeah, sure. It would be nice. Um, Basically, I'm trying to think of a polite way to say it. It's the changing face of their communities. The browning face of their communities. They are worried that America is no longer going to be the sort of Euro-descended majority country that it was 100 years ago. And it's not. Um, right. Even if even if they closed all the borders right. and kicked everybody out, too late. it's not. It's too late. That ship has sailed. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question is, can you adjust to the fact that your future is going to look different than you thought? Yeah. And can you do something to make that future better? You know, another story that was big for a while last year and then kind of fell off the radar, DACA. Yeah. I think uh, they're still waiting for Congress to have a fix for this. Right. And, I, you know, there was a lot of rhetoric that like, oh, it's it's good till March. It's good till March. Actually, at this point, every week, hundreds, if not thousands of, of DACA recipients lose their status. Yep. Mm-hmm. And right now we're up to about 14,000 DACA recipients who are now in limbo yep. until Congress or the president acts on this issue. So I called up Joel Rose, an NPR reporter who covers immigration. And I was like, Joel, what should we expect in 2018? He said a few things. One, expect public interest to stay where it's at. Right. He said, two, expect all this stuff to be in court throughout the year. And we've already seen that. Um, One appeals court has already said that Trump's travel ban is outside of his authority. A second court is going to rule on the ban soon. And then the appeal will most likely for sure go to the Supreme Court. Uh, We'll see court challenges on the status of sanctuary cities and their federal funding. We'll see court challenges from DACA recipients. Mm -hmm. So the place to look if you want to see where the change is on immigration this year is probably not in the streets, but in the courts. Right. And one other thing, though, I think that's going to be interesting, too, is ICE and where arrests and raids are happening. We are hearing some talk that there might be workplace raids in 2018. These are things that we know when they happen. I mean, you want to see people protest and get angry about stuff. Um, but there's some talk. I mean, we had embedded. We're, we've been talking about like getting out and getting on the ground with ICE agents and doing some of these arrests. And the word, what we're hearing is huh. like, all right, we're going to be going to workplaces next. That's so something. Look out for that. One phrase I do think that we're going to hear more of in 2018 is chain migration. Mm. Uh, Donald Trump and his team have been using this phrase more often. Uh, they describe it as a policy that basically means if you are here in the U.S. as an immigrant, you can bring members of your family here too. 
the Trump administration, they paint this picture of giant families moving here after just one person comes. But it's really not like that. Uh, only spouses and minor children are relatively easy to get in. And for aunts and uncles and cousins, it can take decades. And that's still only a fraction of the majority of immigrants who come to the U.S. every year. That said, historically, the policy has not been called chain migration. It's been called family unification. Exactly. And in getting ready for the show, Brent and I discovered a really interesting tidbit about family unification slash chain migration. Um, it was never, ever, ever meant to diversify no. America. No. It was not. So It was I, actually meant to do the opposite. Exactly. It's like to let more... European yes. immigrants bring yeah. their families. Oh, yeah. So I talked with Tom Jelton, NPR reporter, who's written a whole book about it. And I was like, Tom, give me the history on chain migration. So got to go back to where it started. 1965, the Immigration Act began this policy. And the Immigration Act of 65 was a reaction to some of the cultural trends of the moment, a.k.a. the peak of the civil rights movement, yep. when lots of Americans in the world community were saying, your immigration policy is racist. And at that point, the policy of the U.S. for immigration, it was determined by national origin. And they gave priority to those from northern and western Europe, basically keeping America as white as possible. Yeah. So they knew they had to change that. And so as a compromise, Tom Jelton told me that to keep the demographics the same, keep them white, they added chain migration to this new act. So this guy, Michael Fian, a congressman from Ohio, came up with the idea of giving priority to those immigrants who already had relatives in the country. His thinking was that if you prioritized immigrant candidates who already had relatives here, you would get basically the same population you already have. In fact, uh, the American Legion, which was a very close ally of his, called this idea a naturally operating national origin system. So that idea totally backfired because, Tom told me, uh, Frian and his allies, they assumed that the folks that wanted to come to America in 1964 would always be the same people who had come previously, right. Europeans. Turns out that changed. But by the late 1960s, there was really not a great desire to immigrate to America from Europe. The great desire to come to America was, for example, students from Africa coming in. You got a few people coming from Asia. I know of one guy. He came from Pakistan in 1968. He worked for an American company in Pakistan. His employer brought him over here because he had the skills they needed in this country. So he came here in 1968. By 2000, he was personally responsible for 100 family members coming to the United States. That is chain migration. As Alanis would say, isn't it ironic? Cue music. <laughs> So, yeah. As they talk about this more, you're going to see the whole idea of birthright citizenship um, mm. being challenged again mm. because you're going to hear people say again, well, great. So this mom comes to the United States from wherever, has her baby two months later, is an American citizen. You know, she's able to, you know, to appeal, to be able to watch the kid stay here, mm -hmm. um, family grows. What people are conjuring up is the whole idea of an America that's populated by people who weren't necessarily American to begin with. There is this growing notion that just because you're born on American soil, you should not automatically be entitled mm -hmm. to be an American citizen. And I think we're going to see a growing 
push to have that seriously considered. Well, and like, and 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 to your point, and to all of these issues that we talked about with immigration, Karen, I'm always reminded. American political choice and American policy decisions, it's not about what we want. It's about who we want to be. And the big questions facing the Trump administration and America on issues like immigration, it's about what we want to be and who we want to be as a country. And I don't think we have one clear answer to that question yet. One more break. We'll be back with my favorite game, Who Said That? BRB. It's a good one this week. Hey, y'all, before we get back to the show, quick announcement. If you are in the D.C. area on January 18th, my good friends and yours, my colleagues back at the NPR Politics Podcast, they're having a live show at the Warner Theater in downtown D.C. They will be talking about the first year of Donald Trump's presidency. This year, I will be there in the audience, and I'm so excited to be there. You can be there, to Come sit with me. Uh, Check out the tickets. Buy them. Come to the NPR Politics Podcast live. It's like, seriously, come sit with me. Tickets and info are at nprpresents.org. nprpresents.org. All right, back to the show. We are back, and it's time for my favorite game. Ooh, Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? It never gets old. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's <laughs> so disingenuous, though. You know who said that. <laughs> this game is so simple. I right. share a quote from the week. You get to guess who said that. We'll do mm. three today, maybe four. Okay. Um, if you don't know who said that, just give me the story it refers to. You Just be close. You can be close, right. and that's okay. fine. Yeah. Um, or... The winner, as you all know, gets absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so Not genetics. even, like, pride. Everybody like, gets a trophy. Continue being friends with Sam. Yeah. Like, that's really yeah. it, and that would happen either way. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. First quote. Ready? We celebrate this ancient life source that humanity flourished from since the beginning of our existence. We trust it's perfect just the way it is. Who said that? This ancient life source. I have no idea. It's All about I a think thing. Is, was it like the Saudi Arabia the sun. orb? <laughs> <laughs> it is a thing everyone uses every day. Uh, cold cream? <laughs> Water. I give you a hint. Yeah, it's water. Sam, give me. I drank out of my water bottle. Who's celebrating this ancient life for? Is it Gwyneth Paltrow? It's from a company from Oregon Uh, that bottles and sells unfiltered spring water. And they call it raw water. Oh, no. And it's been in the news a lot this week. Raw water was trending this week because there's been a few news stories about it. And now all these health professionals coming out and saying, that's unsafe. That's nasty. Don't do it. Makunde Singh, he's the founder of Live Water. He told the New York Times recently of the water that he sells for some 30 bucks a bottle. He said, quote, it stays most fresh within one lunar cycle of delivery. If it sits around too long, it'll turn green. A lunar cycle. Yeah, no kidding. So are you if you drink it? Come on. I live on the West Coast and this is not okay. Don't do the raw water, y'all. This is why people laugh at us. Seriously. Seriously. Next quote. This is about a thing that changed also in Oregon this week, of all places. What? Uh, The quote is, lung cancer rates will skyrocket. Who knows how this will affect other body systems? The new weird Philip Morris cigarette thingy? No. Oh. Oh. It's a, it's also about a thing that I everyone just does. I the every, buzzer. I know, Can I just right? like, say all the wrong oh, things Oh, it's forever? smoking marijuana? No. 
Okay, wait, read it again. Because that is right. going to make I'm going to give you another one. I love how we don't from, know anything. This is from a news yeah, consumer well, in We're reporters. <laughs> Quote, here it is. Ready? I've lived in this state all my life, and I refuse to pump my own blank. Oh, Gas. Yeah. Yeah. gas. Did you guys hear about this? Yes. But you have to pump your own gas now. So, in Oregon, Oregon yeah. changed the law that now allows rural residents to pump their own gas. Right. It used to be in Oregon, yeah. all across the state, right. you can pump it yourself. Gas station attendants pumped it for yes. you. Well, now Oregonians have lost their minds because they are scared <laughs> of the health risks. Pumping your own gas. Uh, pumping your own gas. Just don't breathe while you pump it. Someone okay. said, I had to do so once in California while visiting and almost died doing it. This is died. a service only qualified people should perform. <laughs> I will literally park at the pump and wait until someone pumps my gas. I can't even. Oh, my. It's going to be a while before he or she gets to where they're supposed to be going then. Oregon, no. fix yourself. Yeah. <laughs> they won't pump water. They won't pump gas. <laughs> what y'all doing, Oregon? Well, it's specialized ice cream and donuts, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, you both kind of tied on that one. Tied in it's our, worth. like, failures? Yeah, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah, and then we said gas at the same yeah, time. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Next quote. You said gangster instead of gangsta. Uh, Jeopardy. Yes, Karen's got it. <laughs> she got it. So that was Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy. Sidebar, Alex announced this week he is actually taking some time off to recover from brain surgery. Get well soon, Alex. Uh, anyway, though, but on a show that aired earlier this week, he uh, had to tell a contestant that his answer was wrong because he mispronounced gangsta. The question it came from was in the category of music and literature. It was a before and after kind of question. It was a so mashup. To, yes, yeah. you had to link two titles with a common word. The clue was... A song by Coolio from Dangerous Minds goes back in time to become a 1667 John Milton classic. We have the tape of it, actually. Nick, what is Gangster's Paradise Lost? Yes. <laughs> Poor Nick. <laughs> Poor Nick. Oh, I love this. Our judges have reevaluated one of your responses a few moments ago, Nick. You said gangsters instead of gangstas on that <laughs> song by Coolio. So we take 3,200 away from you. Oh so you are now in second oh. place. When you got Alex Trebek telling with me more what street a knowledge is. than you, no. all I know is I felt really bad for him. Oh. I did. He wasn't gangster enough. Oh. With that, this game of who said that is over. I don't know who won. It doesn't matter. But I tell you who lost. <laughs> Justin Timberlake. <laughs> okay. Kelly, Karen, great game. You guys are almost out of here. But first, I want to plug our episode from this past Tuesday. Um, I talked to Republican Congressman Will Hurd recently. He is from this massive district in Texas that stretches for hundreds of miles, 23rd District. It includes parts of San Antonio. It goes all the way to, like, El Paso. Um, he's a guy who kind of embodies the struggle that the GOP is going to face in midterms this year. His district is 70% Latino. It went for Hillary Clinton last year. Um, uh, and he says he's cool with that. I like that about this district. Why do you like that? B because I, if more districts were like mine, we would have more people working together up here in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, many of our district, uh, in many of our, our congressional districts, whether it's Republican or Democrat, the decision is made in a primary. If a decision is made in the primary, then that means you have a, a very small percentage of a population making a decision for all 800,000 people that we're supposed to represent. Yeah. He's a really interesting guy. Hear that chat. It's in your podcast feed now. Would he have been your congressman if you lived at home? Had I lived in the um, western suburbs of San Antonio, 
I was more northeast, so I was literally just outside of his district. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how districts are. That's how they are. Yeah. That's how they are. <laughs> yeah. All right. With that, it's time to end the weekly wrap as we always do. Every week, we ask our listeners to send us the sound of their own voices, sharing with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Hit the tape. Hey, Sam, this is Katie from Lehigh, Utah, and I'm just calling to say that the best part of my week was having my New Year's Eve plans cancel on me so my husband and I could stay home with my one-and-a-half-year-old son and my mom and make pot stickers and watch the Twilight Zone marathon. Wait, do I hear him sleeping there? Which is what we all actually really wanted to do. I hear him snoring. Oh, my God. Good morning, Sam. This is Rebecca from St. Thomas, United States, Virgin Islands, and the best thing that happened to me this week is after 101 days without power in my home... I got power in my home, and now I can celebrate the holidays in style. Thank goodness. Hi, Sam. This is Rachel. The best thing to happen to me this week is moving into my first New York City apartment. My wife and I took a trip to Portland, Maine. Not only knocking off the 50th state that I've traveled to, but also we got to celebrate our first wedding anniversary the day we arrived. I finally got an offer for a new job. It comes with a pay increase, and I plan on using extra money to start saving for an engagement ring for my girlfriend. All right. Hi, Sam. This is Gina in Phoenix, Arizona. The best thing that happened to me this week was my mom and sister came to visit me from Northern California. Yeah. I had surgery last week, and it was so nice to have them here to help me while I'm recovering. I also discovered that my sister loves your podcast, just like me, and I had no idea. I just want to say, Loretta, thanks for all your help this week. I love you. Hey, Sam. Doug from Virginia here. Hey, Doug. So I just got home a little while ago from my last day as an intern in the United States Senate. Ah. I can tell that, yes, it can absolutely be dysfunctional, but I'm also (laughs) filled with a lot of hope. Okay. Because even with what we see on the news, it's just full of so many genuinely nice people elected or otherwise who care about their country wow thanks a lot thank you doug awesome hi sam this is josh from tulsa uh the best thing that happened this week actually happened just a little more than a week ago but it still counts to me at least uh my son who is three was diagnosed autistic a little more than a year ago and he Mm -hmm. doesn't speak yet he doesn't use words Mm -hmm. When we found that out, I would try to figure out ways to try to communicate with him. And for the past year, probably longer, we've been playing the counting game on my hands Aww. where I count off one, two, three, four, five. And then I give him a tickle at the end of five. <laughs> uh, so Christmas Day, we're at my parents and we're sitting on the couch. And then very softly, but very clearly, you could hear him say one, two, three, four, Aww. five. That brought me to tears. It brought my mom to tears. It was uh, it was amazing. Oh, have a great week. Hope you have a great 2018. Thanks. Bye. Oh man. Bye. Thanks to all the voices you heard there. Katie, Rebecca, who got a power back. That's great news. Rachel, Luke, Kevin, Gina, Doug, and Joshua. Such good stuff. We really appreciate it. Uh, We hear all these that come in. We can't play them all, but we do get them and we love them. Keep sending them anytime throughout the week, any week. SamSanders at NPR.org. All right. We're going to play the best thing that happened to me in a week several years ago. We're going to play the first JT single that we played earlier (laughs) and roll out on that. Uh, Mama, we made it. Karen, Kelly, y'all did it. So proud. This Thanks is a really good song. Us. Yeah, it's Happy not New bad. Year. This is a really like, good song. Like, this is what you can do, JT. Yes, do this. Come out of the forest. Do this. Yes. <laughs> All right. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. 
Uh, Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and we had editing help from Jeff Rogers. Our big boss is Anya Grunman. She's the VP of programming here at NPR. Uh, and, of course, special thanks to Kelly and Karen for being here. Our pleasure. All right. Had a good time. Refresh your feed Tuesday morning for a really fun chat. I had the pleasure of talking with Elon Gale. He is the executive producer of two shows you might have heard of, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Oh. He has a new, like, anti-self-help book out that's really funny. What? Talked about that and The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. It was really good. All right. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Now everybody dance.